to get started this morning, Tessa and I just recently uh, celebrated our 14-year wedding anniversary, which is great. That, yeah. But what's interesting is this year we also, uh, starting in, uh, as of December, we will have been together for 19 years. It was our 19 years since our first date, which is interesting because we were 19, year old, 19 years old when that date took place. So we were officially kind of not really in December, but shortly thereafter, reaching that point where we've been together half of our lives, which is pretty, you know, pretty substantial, which is cool. And generally speaking, we get along pretty well. Just to clarify, I've run this all past her before I said it. Uh, just, just throwing that out there now. Told her I was going to bring this up. She goes, are you sure? Are you going to make me look bad? I'm like, no, no, promise. But generally, we've gotten along really well. And I can't, you know, there's always days where you frustrate the snot out of each other and all that kind of fun stuff. But... There's only really one argument that we've ever had where I feel like neither of us has really made a whole lot of progress in convincing the other. Um, and that has to do with a vacation that I would someday love to take. In my mind, I am planning this vacation for someday down the road when my kids are older because I agree that there is no way on earth I would want to do this right now with them at the age they're at. But someday I would love to hop in the car, load it up, and head west and drive, Right? And drive and camp and stay and just kind of hit different spots along the way and take this big adventure west where we get to see all the different sites and all the different things. I grew up reading too many books and watching too many movies probably about this concept of driving west and, and all the cool adventures that you could go on. And my wife has this slight hang up and problem. She hates driving in the car. And so in her mind, this is a torture vacation and to some degree. And it would be better served, let's get in a plane and go to a certain place west. And if you want to kind of go from there and hit some spots with a shorter distance to drive, that would be much better. Amen. And am I, huh? Amen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> she didn't give a lot of those, but that's, that's good. <laughs> Amen, she says. Get past the plains and all the boring stuff she doesn't want to see. And let's get to the mountains and maybe take some shorter drives to all this other stuff. And in my mind, I'm going, well, then i got to pack a tent and all this other stuff and a plane. I got... We've argued, not argued, like this isn't like an angry conversation, but we've discussed with varying uh, levels of agreement uh, on what this would look like someday. But in my mind, it isn't about where we're headed. In my mind, it's about this trip. And in her mind, it's still very much so about where are we going? Like, I, what do I actually want to see? Like, some of these other things, you're not convincing me I actually want to see them. I just want to get to this space, like, where mountains are and maybe the Grand Canyon and some of these specific sites that would be nice to see. And let's just skip a lot of the other stuff. So there's this differing opinion on how we get to where we're going and what is fun about a vacation. That's a whole other thing we'll settle on around some other time. But it made me think about this conversation we've been having about growing. Because for some of us, in our minds, following Jesus is about reaching a certain point that we feel like is what, is what needs to be achieved. And for some of us, it might be more of this idea that we are constantly growing, and I'm not sure what I'm trying to become. Or for some of us, it's, hey, you know what, I took this first step that we talked about last week into new life. Remember last week we started this discussion by saying it's important for us to believe Jesus talks about it to Nicodemus. Remember in John chapter 3, you must believe. Those who don't believe are already condemned. This idea of believing, not just that Jesus existed, but that he accomplished all the things he said he accomplished. He really offers this grace to us. He truly has forgiven our sins. He's truly done everything it takes to put our sins behind us. If we believe that he's done all this stuff for us, 
and we believe in the mission that he's called us to, we believe in the work that he's trying to do to, re to restore our world, then we would take a step of action, a step of obedience and baptism and following him with our whole heart. And so the question is, once we've taken that step, what's the process look like from here? What's next? We said last week, for some people, we feel like that's the end of it. Today I want to continue that conversation of what does the next step in this process really start to look like after we've made this decision to believe and to follow. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about some other passages of Scripture and a little bit more of this life cycle. But before we get too much further, I'd like to bow our heads and, and go to him in prayer. Father, I love you, and I am so thankful for your word, and I'm thankful for your life, and I'm thankful for what you accomplished in our hearts and in our lives and what you did for this world that we could never deserve or pay back or do anything to really truly even show our gratitude to the highest level that we need to, to really say thank you for what you've done for us. But this morning, I pray that our offering, that our thank you, that our everything would simply be to humble our hearts to really look inward and to be aware of ourselves and to wrestle with this truth of where am I at in this process? Where is it that I need to take steps? Where is it I need to grow? Have I picked a destination that's in line with you and in line with where you're trying to lead me? Father, I love you and I just offer this time. I pray that you would help me to get my uh, clouded mind out of the way and that, Father, your words would just flow and that your spirit would guide this morning. I love you. It's in the name of Jesus. I pray all these things. Amen. So, uh, okay, yeah. Stop and think sometimes. I'm transitioning. Brain, go. All right, there we go. So, there, a few years ago, I heard this speaker named Ryan Leaf. Uh, or Ryan Leaf. Sorry, not Leaf. Leaf. Ryan Leaf is a very different guy. He played football once upon a time. But anyway, uh, Ryan Leak is a speaker and a pastor, and he uh, was speaking at the Orange Conference a few years ago. And he brought up this story, he was kind of talking about how we do things, and he said that there's kind of this interesting picture sometimes when we, we reach out to people and we bring someone into this relationship with Christ, we try to lead them into who Jesus is, and we tell them, here's what you need to do, you need to take this step, make this profession of faith that you believe in Jesus, and, and here we're going to get you baptized. And he kind of tells this funny story of the guy like standing there in line waiting to get baptized, and there's other people in front of him, and he gets to the baptistry and sees all these weird things floating in the water and wonders, is that the sins of the people in front of me? Like, is it what is going on here? It's not really been explained to this gentleman. And he's kind of telling this funny story about how he goes down and gets baptized and comes back up and he says, now what? Now where am I headed? And they had this conversation about, well, what do we do for as a church? What do we do as people to set him down the next step? Like, where do we tell him to go? He says, well, you should, you should get plugged into this Bible study. You should start coming to services regularly. And you should stop hanging out with those people over there and going to those places. That's not good anymore. You shouldn't do those kind of things and all this kind of stuff. But eventually we start to tell them, well, you also need to start bringing people to Jesus. He's like, who am I supposed to bring to Jesus? And they're like, well, you know, some people that are your friends that are lost. Like, you mean all the ones you told me to stop hanging out with that I don't hang out with anymore? He's like, what am I supposed to do to get them here? I stopped hanging out with them like you told me to. And there's this weird kind of how do we handle bringing someone that is new in their faith, new in this life of Christ, into a relationship and help them step foot forward and how do we start taking those steps forward and the reality is kind of like we talked last week for us it's oftentimes difficult for us to really define and establish the steps in this cycle because we ourselves haven't wrestled with where am i at in this journey of following christ we haven't really put parameters and and benchmarks and 
goals along the way that kind of help us define where are we. And the reality is, is that if we were to ask someone, what do you need to tell somebody to make sure they're a good follower? In our minds, it goes kind of like that story. We kind of have a few things in our head. Okay, well, now that you're a Christian, you need to start reading your Bible. You need to start going to church regularly. You need to stop doing A, B, C, and D that I can clearly see are in your life. And they're usually very superficial. I'm not saying superficial. They have an internal effect. But they're the ones that are most easily recognizable. The ones that are surface level. I can see them the most simply and clearly. I can tell that you may have this going on because I can still see you going out and partying on the weekends. I can still hear the foul language coming out of your mouth. So those are the things I want to most quickly address because they don't line up with my perception and my understanding of what a Christ follower is. And so our guidelines are, how do you become a Jesus follower, is start doing a couple of these things and stop doing these things. But then our advice kind of stops there. So what is the goal? What is the destination? What is it that we're actually trying to accomplish when we say we're going to be followers of Jesus? What is it that truly says you have reached maturity in Christ? When I think about that, I actually look at the disciples. Because what's funny is we tell people, start going to church and start reading your Bible, right? That sounds like good advice. I would highly recommend that. In fact, if you remember earlier in the year, we had this series called Be Still. And I talked about the importance of Sabbath. We talked about the importance of community. We talked about the importance of dwelling in God's Word. All of those things are good and important. The reality is, if we're making disciples, and that was ultimately our goal, and we are supposed to be disciples that are being raised up and and coming to look like Christ and growing in his mission and doing the things he's called us to do, well, let's look to Scripture for an example of other disciples, right? And there were these 12 guys that Jesus said, Hey, Peter, drop your nets. We talked about that last week, right? Drop your nets and your livelihood and everything you have and come follow me. And Peter says, Okay. And the beauty is Peter and all of these other guys, Matthew, this text, collector, all these other gentlemen who kind of a mess on their own regard. We said this last week. Jesus didn't tell them, hey, here's the six things you need to clean up before you can follow me, right? It's not a matter of getting everything straight. Sometimes we also have that picture in our head. Because we've painted such a picture of here are the sins you need to drop because this is what a Christian looks like. We make people feel like before I can really start to be a Christ follower, before I can really start coming to church, I've got to get my act cleaned up. I've got to stop doing some of these things so I'm welcome and that everything's okay. Because we painted this picture to be here, to be a Christ follower, to truly show that you're following Christ, all these things have to be in line and in order. And therefore, we put that added pressure. But Jesus doesn't put that added pressure on the guys. He just says, come follow me. And what's interesting is Jesus takes these guys with him night and day for three years. Like, that's pretty intense internship. I've never, I never really did a real proper internship that looked anything like that. But even that would be extreme and excessive. Most times it's like six months. And this is an internship. This is follow me everywhere. Do the things I do. Walk with me. Sit in the middle of the conversations I have. Sit and have the debrief conversations with me after we just walk through something pretty big and, and intense that takes place. I'll continue to teach you based off of the conversations we have and the things we go through. This is very intensive relationship and life. And they did this for three years. And you would think, Jesus walking in his presence that closely for three years, these guys must have been rock stars by the end of it. But we mentioned last week, remember? Peter picks up the sword and cuts off somebody's ear because he still doesn't really grasp what Jesus is here to accomplish. 
They all deny him and run away when he starts to be crucified. Everything gets too scary. They even kind of question and doubt he's been resurrected at first when the ladies come back from the tomb and tell them, they're like, are you sure? I don't know about this. Until they've seen with their own eyes, they kind of stumble through this whole thing. And then even when they are starting ministry, it's not until the Holy Spirit really falls on them that they start to do amazing things that are really pushing the ball forward. And even then, Paul talks about some of these moments where he and Peter butt heads because Peter is still trying to say, keep face with the Jews by not hanging out with the Gentiles in front of them. He's hanging out with the Gentiles, and then all of a sudden, the Jews show up, and then he kind of backs off and says, well, you know, I don't want to look bad, so I'm going to hang over here with these guys. Peter is still doing things after all of that time and after being filled with the Holy Spirit that falls short. And I look at that and say, wow, that was three really intense years that these guys had with Jesus to learn as much as they could from the Son of God himself. And yet somehow we think that walking through the doors once a week for an hour, listening to Nick DeFord, <laughs> um, I'm not Jesus, folks, is somehow going to get us to where we need to go. We talk about this idea of discipleship and we say, you just need to come and regularly participate. And we say, okay, well, I'll read God's word and I'll learn. And that way I can learn from God's word and Jesus' words and, and grow in that. And that's all good, but... What about when I don't understand? And here's the problem. When we start to try to wrestle with it on our own, we start to try to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. We start reading through here, and we start going, I don't know what in the world this passage means. And I feel really inadequate when it comes to studying Scripture, and I just don't know. Uh, I'm reading it, but I'm not getting any, anything out of it. That doesn't mean you should just drop it and throw it around. That just butterfingers. Anyway, you're reading it, you're going, I just don't know. You feel discouraged. And all of a sudden, we just kind of go, I don't know if I can do this. Because we live in a culture that wants to see progress quickly. If I don't feel different, if I don't feel like I'm learning, if I don't feel like I'm growing, you ever tried to learn something new, like as you've been an adult, not as a kid? Like I want to teach myself something, I want to learn how to do something. How many of you actually learned how to do it productively, like on your own, trying to teach yourself how to do it? <coughs> a few of you? Okay, there's a handful of us that have the perseverance to push through, but honestly... I've tried a few different times to do a few different things, and the reality is, eventually, I don't feel like I'm making progress anymore, and it kind of goes, eh, well, you know, I wish I was seeing myself grow in this way. I wish I was seeing myself make a greater stride, and I just don't feel like that, and so it gets discouraging, and we let loose because we live in a culture where I like the internet to be fast. I like whenever I uh, pull out into traffic for everything just apart and need to have a clear path for me not to get hung up anywhere. We live in a culture where it's instant gratification. I want everything the way I want it right this second. I've been reading this book uh, about uh, the life and spiritual journey and, and kind of some interesting stuff that uh, has helped me kind of prep for some of these things. And there's a quote in this book. Daniel, go ahead and throw that first quote up there. Um, Mulholland is the, guy, the name of the guy who wrote this book. He says, It is not surprising that we, as members of an instant gratification culture, tend to become impatient with any progress of development that requires of us more than the limited involvement of our time and energies. If we do not receive the desired results almost instantly, we become impatient and frustrated. The problem is, is we start to tell people, you need to follow in this journey. You need to start coming to church. You need to start reading your Bible. But someone who's new, who's never picked one of these up, new, who doesn't understand the language, that different language we talked about last week, and they start to not feel progress, 
start to feel a little frustrated and wait, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? What, what? I don't understand what these words mean. Because we live in this instant gratification culture, sometimes this limited amount of involvement, this smaller time that we put into things, this we're not seeing the desired results, we're not feeling like we have the strength to stop doing the things that I feel like I'm supposed to stop doing, I'm not sure how to stop doing these things I've done my whole life, and all of a sudden I just feel like I'm stalling out, and I just don't know how to take the next step forward, and you become impatient and frustrated. Or maybe, it's not a new follower in Christ, but maybe it's some of us who feel like, hey, you know what, I feel like I see other people in my life who are really good. Man, I have that guy who was a mentor to me, and man, he is a rock star when it comes to following God. And I look up to him, and I love him, and I really appreciate who he was and what he meant to my life, and I wish I could be more like him. And therefore, we set that destination of what it means to be a Christ follower by fixing our eyes on this person and their characteristics and these traits that we can see in them and these ideals of what they are. And we say, you know what? He really does a good job of this, but I just don't feel like I know how to take steps to do that. Maybe he's really good at going out and just talking to strangers. You know, do you know you know people? Some of us are better at this than others. Some of you are in this room. But you sit down at a restaurant, and all of a sudden you're bantering back and forth with the waiter or the waitress, just having a good old time. My dad is one of those people. He's always cutting up and talking and having a good time with the waiter or the waitress. And no matter how terrible the service is, he's still laughing with them and having a good time. And I look at that and I go, man, I stink at that. Like, I grew up with it. I saw it my whole life. And yet somehow I still am terrible at just making small talk and, and just talking to somebody I've never met with, like, introducing myself and just engaging in conversation for the first time. And though there may not be other, there may be other ways that my dad is not necessarily the guy I'm striving to be, my dad in this way, that attribute of him is appealing to me. And therefore I go... Man, I wish I could be more like this. And I set this benchmark for myself to say, I want to get better in this area. But you know what? I chickened out this time. Or, you know, I was too tired this time. Or I, I don't see the instant results of trying to get better. And I really don't know what step to take to get better. I feel discouraged. I feel kind of lost. How do I make that first step? And then all of a sudden we feel frustrated and we might just give up on it. In some cases, what we've done is we've created a culture where church leaders, different people in the church, different people in larger capital C church, maybe in the world, in other faiths, other other different cultures and religions, we see these holy people who raise up to this higher level. And you know, the, the Catholic churches we refer to them as saints. We look at Mother Teresa, this lady who goes across the world and just completely pours herself into the poor and orphans and those in need of help. And we often talk about someone like that as a Mother Teresa. Well, he's no Mother Teresa, right? And we gauge people based off this ideal we've created in our head of this saintly type person. Or on a smaller level, we say, hey, we need someone to lead us as people, and therefore we hire a pastor. And a pastor comes in, and the pastor becomes the person who constantly studies, pours himself into God's Word, and they get up and tell me what it says, and therefore I can learn from them and, you know, I may never have the full understanding of God's word that you do, but I love coming and listening to you talk about it each week. And I, I, I don't understand it. I try to pick it up, but I can't figure out anything it says. So I'm just going to come and listen to you talk about it. And therefore, we create this elevated position of a person who we then look to. And that goes further. It seeps further. I, I need, and I'm not saying this is bad. Don't hear me wrong. I want to pray over you and, and be there for you and all those kind of things. But we sometimes think 
that unless the pastor comes to pray, unless the pastor comes to visit, the church hasn't actually been there for me because the one person who is on this elevated level hasn't been the one who stopped by to see. And we've diminished the value of other leaders and other people who are called to follow in this same mission. And so we create all of this mess in our heads of what it means to follow and what level am I going to achieve. And you know what? I'm never going to be like that person. So we become impatient and frustrated and we stop trying. Dan, if you throw that next quote up there, this is another quote from this book. Once we begin to realize that spiritual growth is continuous and sometimes a difficult process, we may be tempted to think that it is an option we can take or leave. For many Christians, the quest for the deeper life in Christ is viewed as a discipline for the dedicated disciple, a pursuit for the particularly pious, a spiritual frill for those who have the time for inclination, a spiritual fad or tendency or trendy for trendy Christians. We start to look at all of this stuff and we start to realize I'm never going to achieve all of these things. The disciples were with Jesus for three whole years, and they were still a broken mess. How could I ever achieve this lofty position? Could I ever pray in a way that puts me on that level of this prayer warrior I greatly respect and value? Could I ever learn to study scripture the way this person does and the way they pour themselves into that? And we see that our faith in that process of following is just that, a process, a journey. I told Tessa that I wasn't throwing her under the bus by using that example at the beginning because it's not about a family vacation. That's just a silly thing where we got to figure out what we want to do for family vacation. But when it comes to following Christ, there is no in-between. This is a process and a journey that never ends. This is jumping in the car and going, and we are going to hit a lot of speed bumps. We're going to hit a lot of potholes. We're going to hit a lot of detours and get lost several times along the way. But this is a journey of following Christ where there isn't some ideal destination because the beauty of it is we were all created in the image and likeness of Christ. We are all supposed to reflect the attributes that he demonstrated. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are things that come out of us when we are loving and following and serving in him, those become things that he wants to see pour out of us. But the reality is he gave us all unique gifts and unique abilities. We mentioned Pat earlier. Pat passed away this week, and that really stinks. I'm just saying. Um, we're going to miss Pat. She was a joy. And Pat often talked about the fact she didn't have anything to give until one of her friends, who I had the joy of meeting yesterday, told her, spoke into her life and said, Pat, you can talk to a brick wall. Which we all know is true. But Pat had that ability when she realized her giftedness to say, you know what, you're right. I can talk to anybody. That's great. And you know what? Pat knew that she'd fallen short in a lot of other ways. And Pat knew that there were a lot of ways for her to grow in a lot of other ways. But Pat said, I see this gift to myself. Now, how can I grow in the way I use it? So I don't have all the answers. I don't know. But I'm going to take a step. And I'm going to go love on somebody and go meet somebody and just talk to them and make them feel special. And try to get as far as I can with this gift. Until God reveals to me, we talked about that theme for this year, seeking God in a way where he can reveal himself. You know what? I'm feeling pretty good about how God is using me. But once we start to feel good about the progress we've made, about how we 
are taking steps forward, how we are growing in this way, it's not okay to just say, you know what, I really wanted to get better in this area, and I did. I found that gratification. I found that, pro- that progress. I see how I've grown. Man, I feel good. And then we hold on to that one success for the rest of our lives. Did we really reach our destination? Or is the journey continuing to go? And so therefore we say, God, what's the next thing that I really ought to be better at? What are the other gifts you've given me that I don't recognize in myself or in my own life? God, what is it you still need me to accomplish to follow you more wholeheartedly, more surrendered? Die to myself daily. Pick up the cross daily. What's the next way I need to die to myself? What's the next way I need to grow in the gifts and the abilities you've given me? What are the new ways I need to let love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control pour out of me? How am I still falling short? Because this process never ends. It takes regular commitment. It takes community, other people speaking into us. I love that example of Pat's life because it was a friend who said to her, Pat, you don't realize this about yourself, but here's a gift you couldn't see, but I'm helping you see it. We all need people speaking into our lives together on this journey saying, hey, you realize you're really good at this. But sometimes we're just really good at saying, oh man, you know you're annoying. (laughs) We could say that to somebody, and that's where we tear each other down. That's not the goal of the church. That's not how we bring each other along. But sometimes, honestly, it's how we disciple. Here's what you're really bad at. You really need to clean that up and get better at it, or you can't call yourself a Christ follower, because there's no way you could be following Christ and still do that. That's dangerous ground, folks. Because there's still something in each of our lives that someone else could look at and say, how can you call yourself a Christ follower if you can do that? How could you call yourself a Christ follower if you still do that? If the measure of a Christ follower is having all of the answers in place and doing everything perfectly or doing things in a very specific order, this book would have laid out the very specific order in which you were to tackle each and every sin in your life. It does not. It says, come follow me. I will tell you which one you need to address first. Don't listen to them. Don't try to please them. Don't try to make them happy. Try to make me happy. Not me. God. Sometimes I point at myself and realize that looks silly. Try to make God happy in the way that we follow him, in the way we pursue him, in the way that we surrender ourselves to him. Because ultimately, he is the one who says, here's the most important thing you need to clean out of your life. I know the rest of the world sees these things, but this is the most broken piece of your heart. This is the most destructive thing that's happening in your life, and no one else may be able to see it, but until you get past that, it's going to be really hard for you to take these next steps. God, the creator and the designer, understands our hearts and our shortcomings and our brokenness better than anyone, and that's why he addresses different people he encounters in different ways. We see the woman at the well, He's trying to engage her in a conversation about living water, offering her life, telling her that she's met the Messiah, talking to her about worship, and then all of a sudden, well, yeah, I know that you have five husbands, or you've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. He doesn't condemn her for it. He doesn't berate her about that from the beginning. He says, I know. I know. But I'm telling you, the Messiah, the one who can transform your life, is standing right in front of you. I am offering you the opportunity to follow me. I know that there's mess in your life. That's fine. Come follow me. 
And she runs around and tells everyone, you should meet this guy who told me everything I ever did. He didn't condemn me for it. He said, here I am. Come follow me. He picked a woman up off the ground in John who had been condemned. And everybody standing around with stones. And he says, if they're not here, then neither do I condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. Whatever it was that was doing that got you into this mess, stop it. I'm not going to condemn you for it. I'm going to tell you to follow me that you should drop those things so they don't get you into more life-threatening situations. Jesus addresses these different things and different people he encounters in different ways all along the path, but the message is still the same. I love you. I value you. Come follow me. And don't ever stop following me because this is a journey and a process. And if the 12 disciples can't get it right after three intensive years of night and day training, what makes us think we're going to get better with 15 minutes of looking through some pages that we may or may not understand and making sure we listen to this knucklehead talk every week. Because I'll be honest, I've got just as many things in my life that are broken as anyone else in this room. I'm not Jesus. I'm trying to be. I never want to stop that process of growing and becoming more like him. I never want to stop pursuing him. There's one more quote that was in this book that I wanted to share with you. Spiritual formation is not an option. This journey of following Jesus is not an option. The inescapable conclusion is that life itself is a process of spiritual development. The only choice we have is whether that growth moves us towards wholeness in Christ or towards an increasingly dehumanized and destructive mode of being. We can choose to just sit back. And say, I'm happy where I'm at, and I'll just continue being where I've always been. Or I'll continue viewing the rest of the world as as broken as I assume it is. Or I'll continue to dehumanize myself and others by just hanging out where I'm at. Or I can realize that my life is an ongoing pursuit of becoming more Christ-like. And never being content and happy with where I am. And here's the trick. If we understand this concept that it's about an ongoing process, taking steps forward every bit of the way, exploring the journey and seeing where it takes us, not being sure of the next step, not being sure of the destination, but always saying, God, what is it you want for me next? And humbly falling before him and saying, God, what gift is it that I have that I'm not using? God, what is it that needs cleaned up and cleansed in my life? What is it that I need to improve on tomorrow? And we're moving in that direction, that path of following and surrendering that he's called us to. And we will become more Christ-like with each step because our eyes are fixed and we are following. We are faithfully following because we believe and are committed to this message and to this mission of restoration of both us and the rest of this world. And we know the only way the world is restored is by taking the hard look at ourselves and letting ourselves be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Ephesians chapter 4, I, I don't want to get through the day without opening this thing up. I've talked about ideas in it, but I've not actually read it. And I don't want to get through this day without it. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace has given, but, but grace was given 
to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Listen carefully to this next section here. In saying he is, uh, sorry, here in just a minute. In, as he, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Here we go, verse 11. Pay close attention. And he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every mind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, by, by <coughs> when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 11, I want to point this out one more time. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body in Christ. We sometimes think that these positions that God has given, these leadership positions, are to stay the leaders. And I can just be the lowly person who just kind of sits and listens and goes, yeah, that's right. No, he gave leaders and people who had already found some of this passion, some of this direction, who had been listening, who had been growing, who had demonstrated the fruits coming out of their life and out of their work. He gave them to say, you need to continue building others up because the ultimate goal is that all people grow in this process to be built up and to be followers of Christ who can share that message. Who can share this word? Who can offer hope and love and unity in the message of Christ and be about that mission? It's not just so that they can always be at a higher position and I can enjoy my lower position and say, I'm not called to that. No one ever called me to be a missionary. No one ever called me to be this. No one ever called me to be that. So I can continue to be here and just be a bench warmer. That's not what that says. Those leadership positions, those people who go out into the world, their goal is to say, raise up everyone in the body of Christ to be a unified body who are mature in Christ's likeness so that we can all continue the work. So where are we at on this process? Where are we at on this journey? Hopefully the answer is still moving forward, still exploring and still seeing what God has next for us in our growth. But when we start to talk about new believers who are coming to the faith, the answer can't be, um, well, you could do this, and you could read this, and maybe you can show up and listen to this sermon, and yeah, that'd be good. But you probably ought to stop doing these four things, because that doesn't look good if you do those things. The reality of the answer to that question is when someone comes to life in Christ, what do I do next? Where am I supposed to go? The answer should be, come follow me. I'm pursuing Jesus. You should come along. Hold my hand. Walk next to me. You're now with me. Night and day. Three or more years. Probably more. But let's walk together. Because the reality of what it means to grow 
in Christ is for us to be unified and walking together, seeking and pursuing him together, having conversations together, reading and studying and praying and worshiping together. Not separated, not just in our individual wrestling. It wasn't just an individual process. We'll talk about that more later. It's a group process, and we'll talk about how we can help in that process and what it looks like to encourage each other, what it looks like to call out sin in each other's life, what it looks like to wrestle with God's word and to be honest about what it's truly saying. We'll talk about all how we can do that together. But the reality is, how do I bring someone along in the next steps and say, well, I'm following so come follow me and we'll figure it out together because I really don't know where the next step in the journey is. But if we go together, we can learn together. We can grow together. We can push each other together. And you may need to wrestle with something different than I need to, but we're still chasing after the same goal together. Christ and whatever it is he has in store for us. He is the destination. He's the only thing we're seeking when we start to follow it's his mission, his way, that thing we believed in so much, we were willing to take that big first step of obedience to follow. And the mission continues from here on. So the worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to pray. The reality is this morning, I think you need to ask yourself that question. Have I been stuck somewhere? Have I gotten discouraged by my lack of progress? Have I somewhere along the way lost sight of what I was chasing in the first place? Have I somewhere stalled out and hit a wall? And not been able to get over it? Have I maybe just idolized other people to a point where I said, well, I'll never reach that status, I'll never reach that point, and therefore I don't invest myself the way I ought to? Have we truly grasped this idea that I am daily growing in Christ? And that if I stop pursuing Him and stop growing in Him, I'm headed the wrong direction. And so this morning we just need to pray God, where is it I'm at? Help me see where I'm at. And the other side of it is, who is it that I need to be inviting to come in this process with me? And here's the beautiful thing. Remember we talked last week about new life in Christ? I mentioned that belief is kind of where this, this process starts. I, I was kind of wrong in that to some degree. For some people, belief isn't even on the table yet. I can't believe in the message of Jesus because I'm not even sure how I feel about this God thing. I'm not even sure where I stand in in this church stuff. I'm not really sure how I feel about any of it. The beauty is you can still grab someone's hand and say, come with me, we'll figure it out together. I know you may not believe, that's fine. I, I'm trying to figure it out myself. Come with me, let's go together. The first step in bringing someone to a relationship with Christ is showing them the humility that you have to still be walking in the process and not having all the answers. And by doing that, they feel welcome. By doing that, they feel like they can be vulnerable and wrestle with tough questions. And by doing that, you might build a relationship that is deeper and more significant than what they've been holding on to in this world. And so, who is it, God, this morning that I need to reach out and grab the hand of and bring along with me on this journey? If you would, stand with me, we're going to pray. If you need prayer this morning, anything that you would like us to pray over, over or pray with you about, whatever it is, whatever that looks like, even if you just want to wrestle with some tough questions, please come forward. We'd love to pray. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. I'm thankful for your word, and I'm thankful for the fact that you didn't give up on the disciples. You didn't give up on any of us. You have never given up on one of us, Father. Your word tells us that you'll never leave us or forsake us. That, Father, nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing, neither life nor death or angels or demons, nothing can separate us from this love that you have for us, this patient love that keeps calling us to follow you. And so this morning, I pray that we would have the courage to drop whatever it is we're holding on to, to just 
to feel encouraged and strengthened in our lack of progress thus far and be willing to have the boldness to take the next step. Father, many of us may have taken that first step, but Father, sometimes it's that second step that is so much harder. Pray that you give us wisdom and strength to pursue you this morning. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray all these things. Amen. Amen.